Well, it's good to be here for the first Sunday in 2024. Come on. Nobody's more excited about 2024 than that. Come on. Hallelujah. I love every single new year. I love every single year of my life because I believe that every single year that's added to me is another year that I get to know God, that I get to experience him, that I get to know him. I believe that I know that there's like the common cliche in the world that it's like, oh, the best year ever, the best year yet. Like it's going to be. But it's like I believe that with all of my heart, I believe with all of my heart that no matter the circumstances, that every year has the opportunity to be the best year of our lives because it's more time with God. It's more time in God. It's more time to build testimony and to encounter him and to walk with him and to see his face and to hear his voice and to be made like him and to be conformed into his image, which is our ultimate destiny in Jesus Christ, right? Predestined, conformed to the image of Christ. The gifts will cease. Our Christ-likeness won't. The image of God won't. Our character won't. We need to be getting busy being conformed to the image of Christ at any cost. No matter how painful the discipline, no matter how hard the correction. And I've experienced it in my life. You know, my life doesn't make sense in God, honestly. Most people would look at my life and say, this guy has no idea what he's doing. He's completely lost and he has no direction in his life. I got married when this was, I had, this is nothing to do with anything I was going to share this morning. Like not even close to the same stratosphere. But I got married when I was 22. My wife was 20. We were both living at our parents' house. We were both still in college. But we felt like the Lord wanted us to get married. Who knows that in the world's eyes, it's like 20-year-olds today, that, 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 that's like most of them should never get married. Like it was God, okay? Like that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to get married while you're in college, student loan debt working three jobs, and then I graduate 2016 Kelly School of Business, and I go take a 100% commission job in commercial real estate brokerage where they say, are you prepared to go 12 months with no income? That doesn't make any sense. Wife's still in college. We're living on her student loan debt. She's getting a nursing degree anyways. Fast forward, I'm in commercial real estate for five years. The Lord asked me to leave commercial real estate and to go into ministry. I'm in ministry for about a year. And then I feel like I need to leave ministry because I, I crumbled under the pressure, under the fear of man, under the shame that I felt in my soul because I had undealt with trauma, undealt with wounds. I had cracks in the foundation of my identity that would not keep me where God wanted to take me. And so five, five years commercial real estate, year in ministry, out of ministry, back into business. I literally, 2022, I was doing residential real estate lawn like landscaping cleanup I painted houses both on my own and for my dad doing odd jobs randomly just to make ends meet and God provided for our every need that doesn't make any sense and then after 20 at the end of 2022 I feel like the Lord put it on my heart to start my own business and so I, we prayed and sought the Lord at the end of 2022 in the beginning of 2023 I launched Kingdom Realty and uh, Kingdom Realty uh I believe, again, was birthed by the Lord. We prayed for like a month, 
And um, so I started that in 2023. And uh, praise be to God, the Lord, the Lord showed up in ways in my business in, in the first year that does, doesn't make sense. Anybody who's built a business know that like the first several years is very challenging and you typically don't make any money or a lot of money or anything like that. But I'm telling you, the Lord blessed us with abundance and it wasn't me. It was him. It was him superintending things. So anyways, five years commercial real estate, ministry, out of ministry, start your own real estate business company. And then the Lord says, hey, go back into ministry. (laughs) Who knows that the journey of faith in the eyes of the world just doesn't make sense? That trajectory, that path is foolishness. It looks like, you know, God, it looks like I have no idea what I want to do with my life. But you know what? God is my father. And God knows what I need more than I need. And God was willing to take me on a journey that in the eyes of the world looks like stupidity to man, but was positioning me exactly to where he wanted me to be. And I don't know why I'm sharing this, but it's probably because someone else in here needs to hear, like, if you feel like your life is all over the place, I'm telling you, God has a purpose for your life. God has a vision for your life. Jeremiah 29 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. Ephesians 3.20 says that, that he has super abundantly beyond, if you read the Amplified Bible, my, my wife loves the Amplified Bible. If you read the Amplified, it says in Ephesians 3.20 that he has and he does more than we could even dare ask or pray of him. So no matter if we're following God, if we love God and we're seeking his face, we can rest assured that no matter what God has for us, he's going to work it for our good and for his glory. And so I hope someone's encouraged by that this morning. Um, again, that, I don't even know where that came from other than maybe just the Lord. Um, so, so today, this morning, our first Sunday in 2024, I want to this morning give fresh vision for the year. But I also don't want to move too quickly from 2023. And the reason is, is because I believe in 2023, there was so much that happened. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful to remember, how many people know the word of God? How many times it says remember? Even Peter writes and says, you already know these things, but I'm going to remind you. How many people who are parents in here know that half of parenting is just reminding your kids the same thing over and 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 you get tired of it and then you do it and you're like, my gosh, this is me. This is me forgetting the truth of God's word. This is me forgetting the testimony of God in my own life. I need to remember. I need to take the memorial stones of God's goodness and testimony and power and breakthrough in my life. And I need to meditate and reflect and remember of him because it's all him. And so in 2023, I just want to remind us. At the beginning of 2023 in February, if you were with us, God had a unique outpouring like I have never experienced in my entire life. The presence of God in this place over the course of a week and a half or whatever it was, and then we had meetings following that, was unprecedented. If you, if you weren't here, we had people fighting over, not actually fighting, 
We had people fighting over the microphone to come up here and repent publicly to people that were in the room. Marriages, brothers, sisters, jealousy, like like the ugliest stuff. But it's like, you know what the truth is, guys? If we would take the masks of our casual Christianity off and recognize that we're all broken and messed up before God, that really there's no new dysfunction under the sun in the human heart, and we would just get real first with God and then with each other, we would find immense breakthrough in our lives. And so people were repenting left and right. It was powerful, and it was unbelievable. And then Joe Davis came here, Dr. Joe Davis, and he prophesied to us that he saw the, uh, the, the move and the wind of the spirit coming out from this place, blowing off the front of the doors and going out into the community. Lance Johnson said that he believed this house, our father's house, was intended to be a catalyst for change in this city and in this region. Guys, If we have carnal minds, we'll hear the prophecies of God that sound impossible and ridiculous. And we'll say, oh, that's nice. That's just a fun vision and that's just exciting, whatever. But it's like when I read my Bible, I don't see normal stuff happening. Like God is a God of the impossible. It doesn't just mean that he can do the impossible. It means the impossible is how he works. (laughs) Name Name me one story in the Bible that was not an impossibility with man only. Find me one story. God is a God of the impossible. The impossible is how he works. So if we feel like these things are impossible for us, may I just can present that we are exactly where God wants us to be. May I say that if we feel like we have nothing to offer, we might be exactly where we ought to be because God saw the widow give and he saw the Pharisee give and he saw the widow give her might, which was next to nothing. But because she gave it all, it was more than what the Pharisee could ever give. And I know it was an example of natural giving, but I believe it's prophetic that if we would just give what we think is nothing and small in the sight of God, that he would honor the offering. God said to Israel, he said, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest nation. I chose you because you were the smallest. Deuteronomy 7, 7. Is anybody alive in here this morning? Anybody full of the spirit, full of faith? excitement to partner with the prophecies of God over this house. So February was powerful. And then we had a unique pocket at the end of 2023. And I just want to go through a couple of these because I believe it's important for us. It's important because where there is no vision, what does the Bible say? Where, is, where there is no vision, the people perish. And other translation says where there's no prophetic insight. When there's no divine inspiration, the people perish. So where are we going? What are we doing? I'm telling you guys, again, this message, I'm not even going to get to my notes. I can already tell. But I'm telling you right now that this church is never going to be a nice little church. We are a kingdom church full of the, the, the passion and the zeal of God that, that values the word of God. Can we look at the values? I just feel like the Lord wants me to review all of this right now. We value the word of God. We value the fatherhood of God. 
the superiority of Jesus Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, people, our community, and the spreading of the gospel. That's what this house values. This house values the gospel of the kingdom and to make it manifest in the world and not to just have a nice Christian bubble where we have a couple meetings a week and then we go out and nothing changes in our own lives. And and also because nothing changes in our own lives, nothing changes in our community and nothing changes in our workplaces and nothing changes in our family. We want to burn with the gospel because when I read my Bible, I see men and women marked and gripped by Jesus Christ who moves them to missional living that is willing to pay any price and any cost to see God in the kingdom grow. October 15th, Paul Johnson said, I see a tidal wave of repentance that, is sin- that God is sending to this house. And the pride in all of us is holding it back. I don't know if you guys remember that Sunday, but the the message was titled Revival and Reproof. And it was another powerful meeting where the fear of the Lord gripped this place. And that sparked Lance Johnson coming on that next Wednesday. Does anybody remember? Was anybody here? And it was obvious that in that time that a, a, a theme that God was highlighting through Lance was that God wanted to take us as a people from visitation to habitation. That God didn't want us to just be a people that like had nice little moments of his presence for our own whatever enjoyment and entertainment. Guys, the power of God's not meant to play in. It's meant to partner with. I believe actually one of the reasons we probably don't see more signs, wonders, and miracles is because we're more infatuated than them than we are with him. Visitation to habitation. November 6th, Jeff Lyle was here. He had a prophetic picture of a pooling of oil. Again, guys. I I challenge us in this moment to put on a spiritual mind and spiritual eyes that we would upgrade our thinking. Are we a house that believes in prophecy? Are we a house that believes in the Holy Spirit and his gifts are for today? You know, it says in Hebrews 4 that they had good news preached to them or that we also have good news preached to us. But it doesn't matter if we don't partner within it with faith. So Jeff Lyle, there was, he saw a pooling of oil and that this oil was intended that we even more so become a house of prayer and intercession. And he kept hearing, this is a fault line. This is a fault line. This is a fault line. And that the Lord wants to split the earth in Avon, Indiana. And that from this place, trimmers would start moving out. And that this house is a very strategic house where God wants to begin from this place through a shaking. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? November 20th, Lance Johnson was here. He had a word that he gave to this house, and he, 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 it was a message, but it was a prophetic word that he believed the Lord wanted to move this body from wilderness to promise. Anybody remember that one? 
Guys, my, my heart is to cause to remembrance what the Lord has spoken over this house, that where we are going, we would partner with what he is wanting to do. This isn't about any man. This isn't about any ministry. This is about Jesus Christ being made famous in the earth, that his glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Amen. And it takes a partnership. Wilderness to promise. Who knows that? The, the wilderness to promise journey for the Israelites took a lot of fighting. It took a lot of intensity. I mean, I don't know how many kings they conquered after the Jordan parted, but it's not like they just arrived and there was no more work to do. In fact, one of the reasons they fell is because they arrived and they stopped working. They stopped driving out the other nations and a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And mixture leads to division and division leads to destruction. So God wants to take this house, our father's house, from wilderness to promise. And then Aaron Molesky, December 18th. Anybody here for that? He gave an amazing word from Ezekiel, I believe Ephesians 1, and then uh, Philippians 3, I think. And it was an invitation to the deep. It was the ankle-deep water, the knee-deep water, the waist-deep water, and that there was more. For this house, it wasn't just a nice message. It was a, a word for this house that God had more for us as a people. And that God wanted us, wanted to take us out into the deep. And the other word was reverse the curse. You guys remember that? Reverse the curse that there have been like curses over this. Like this is where prophetic people go to die. I feel like I'm coming up against some of that today, if I'm not going to lie. Reverse the curse. We laid our hands on the ground of Indiana. Guys, do we believe in revival? Do we believe in outpourings of the Holy Spirit that would change people's lives, that, that addicts would become free, that marriages would become healed, that there would be a generation of children raised up in the earth who never know a day outside the presence of God, who grow up prophesying, who grow up praying in tongues, who grow up casting devils out? Jesus, come on. I want to see that generation, and I believe we're raising it in this house. Reverse the curse, and then Paul's been teaching us on becoming an apostolic people lately. And so I just want to share these things to stir us to remembrance. What has God said? I believe one of the biggest tragedies in the, the nation of Israel and even the church today is that we forget the word of God. We just forget. We're too busy. We're drunk off of entertainment. We're drunk off of distraction. We're drunk off of our flesh. Because it's easier to worship something that's seen than something that's not. That's what Moses said in uh, Deuteronomy, the beginning of Deuteronomy. The reason that you went out of straight out is because you didn't see God on the mountain. And so you made idols for yourself because you could see it and feel it and touch it. It was immediate gratification. And so I believe for 2024 to remember these words and what God is wanting to do through this house in Avon, Indiana. And I believe part of what the Lord is saying for 2024 is that we are here for such a time as this. Brother, that was a word to Esther. Brother, that was, you know, for her time and her generation. Well, who knows that biblical history is prophetic history. Who knows that if God did it for them, he'll do it again. 
who knows that the faith of Joshua, the faith of Moses, the stories, they're not just here to tell us a story. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I believe that in 2024 that we are here for such a time as this. And that we have to partner more than ever. I believe that the DNA of this church will be tested more in 2024 than ever before. Whether or not we have kingdom DNA in this house is going to be tested more than ever. I almost promise you. And if I get it wrong, you guys can stone me for being a false prophet, even though I'm not a prophet anyway. <laughs> for any of those who are grace confused, it's okay. For such a time as this. But again, like I said from Hebrews chapter 4, that they had good news preached to them that they would enter the prom promised land. But because they did not believe it, they did not enter. God, and, and, and it says further in the chapter, it says, do not follow their example of disobedience. And it says in chapter 3, it said that they had an evil, unbelieving heart to the word of God. I've been wrestling with that. I, I love the challenging portions of scripture that take my flesh and render it. And it said that they had an evil and unbelieving heart. I've been asking myself, at what point in my life does any of my unbelief toward God become evil? Because the word of God does say to have patience on some who doubt. In James, I believe it is. Or maybe it's Jude. I don't remember. One of the J's. But at what point does our unbelief, whether it's regarding the word of God, whether it's written, the written word of God, or whether it's regarding the spoken prophetic prophecies that come through people, at what point is our unbelief counted as evil in the sight of God and disobedience? I don't have a plain answer, but it's just to get us in the wrestle. It's to get us in the, the prayer closet on our knees. And so what is the vision of this house? Anybody know what is the vision of our father's house? I just, I showed the values on the back. We read those. Does anybody know the vision of our father's house? If you know it, please participate right now. Shout it out. Don't be shy. It's, Mitch, no, you're not allowed, and you're not allowed. Anybody on leadership is not allowed to answer. If you don't know it and you're on leadership, then we should revisit things. Does anybody know the vision of this house? Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where are we going? What, that's the word of God. Where are we going? What are we doing? Why are we here? What is the purpose on your life? Why did God put you on earth in this time, in this season? Why are we here? Our life is but a vapor. I'm serious. These are like core questions. Why do we get up in the morning? Is it just to work a nine to five and to sow into our 401k so that we can retire and go hang out in Florida? And if you go to Florida, my goodness, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, especially if you're retired and you go to Florida. There's nothing. You, you hear my heart. I hope. I hope. I love Florida, and I would go there more if I could. Trust me. Where there's no vision, the people perish. What is our purpose in life? Why are we here? has to be greater than ourselves. It has to be more. It has to be more. The vision of this house, Isabel said it, 
it is not, if, if, you, if you don't know that, can you write this down? If you don't know this, if, if you came prepared to take notes and you came prepared to learn and receive something from the Lord, I hope, I hope we come to church ready to receive. I hope we come to church expectant and anticipating what he's going to do. Oh, God, what are you going to do this morning? What are you going to do today? Oh, my goodness, Sunday's coming up. What is God going to do? How is he going to move this week? The vision of this house, if you're ready to write it down, it is not the invention of something new. It's the restoration of something old. It's the New Testament church. It's the church of Acts. It's biblical living breathing. We want to marry the word of God and the spirit of God in this house. It's not the invention of something new. It's the restoration of something old. We want to see and live and breathe the kingdom of God because that's what we read in Acts. And, and part of my word this morning to before reminding us what happened in 2023 and, and what the Lord was speaking to this house and refreshing us of that we want to build a New Testament house in the earth in Avon, Indiana, so that we can change the world for the glory of God, is to confront that if we don't partner with this, it won't happen. Prophecy requires partnership. Prophecy starts a process, and prophecy begins a prayer agenda. If we're not praying into the Word of God, and we're not sowing into the Word of God, so if God says to this house, I want to make you an increased house of prayer. What do you think a reasonable, what do you think like a reasonable response to that would be? Come on, start praying. If God, if God gives you a prophecy and says, hey, I think that you're a teacher. What do you think that is a reasonable response to that kind of word? Study, pray, read. For just a brief prophetic protocol in this house, if you receive a word of God, if you are prophesied to, number one, do everything that you can to record it. Number two, transcribe it. Write, write it down. Read it. Study it. If, you, if, you're, if you're less mature, you don't know what to do, submit it to somebody who you trust and say, what do you think I should do with this? What do you think my response should be with this? I think we're too careless with the word of God, both objectively and subjectively. Objectively is the written word of God, and subjective revelation is the spoken word of God. Whenever you receive a prophetic word, you should measure it against the written word of God. If God's telling you to leave your spouse because you're just not into her, I'm serious. But I think maybe we don't know how to judge prophetic words because we don't know the word. Whether it's the written word or the living word, Jesus Christ. And so we have to partner with these prophetic words. We have to partner with the vision of this house. And really the crux of the word that I feel like the Lord put on my heart this morning. And there's no way in heaven that I'm going to get through all of it. But I believe that God, as we partner with this stuff, that we will not stumble upon it. It will not happen by chance. These things, we won't just wake up and then all of a sudden revival breaks out. And, and cities are being changed and people's lives are being wrecked. But I believe that God wants us to crucify casual Christianity in this church. 
that we would crucify casual Christianity. So if you would turn with me to Acts 2.37, crucifying casual Christianity. Just write that down if you don't mind. Crucifying casual Christianity. I believe that the church in America and over time has drifted. And I believe that we've come to a place that we live casually for what many have been made casualties for. All the martyrs, the end of chapter 11 in Hebrews, that there were people who were stoned to death, who were sawn in two. I think they say that uh, uh, John the apostle was boiled in oil. Peter was crucified upside down. The number of people that have died trying to just simply translate the Bible in other languages. A part of church culture in America is that we have lived casually for what many have been made casualties for. Jesus, would you grip our hearts this morning? Would you grip our hearts afresh, even our own Savior? Okay, Acts 2, 42, starting in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Casual Christianity has cuddled disciples into the kingdom rather than cut them into the kingdom. They were pierced to the heart. They were wounded in conscience. But we've watered down the gospel in such a way that cuddles people in to Christianity. I believe it's one of the greatest deceptions in all of mankind and all of eternity that we could pray one prayer one time and say, I'm good. That we could say, Jesus, I love you, and then live however we want, not according to the Bible, and think that we're going to heaven. Did Jesus say that if you do not Bear fruit, my father will cut this branch off. Did it, does, does Paul not write in Romans that do not think in arrogance that if God cut off a natural olive branch how, and, and, and grafted in a wild one, how much more do you think he will cut off a wild one and graft back in the natural one? They were pierced to the heart because Peter was preaching with conviction and with power and with unction of the Holy Spirit. And, that, and, and they, were, they were cutting people into the kingdom with conviction of the word of God. The word of God is sharp. The word of God is active. Does it ever cut your life? Does Jesus have a sword coming from his mouth in Revelation? What is the sword? I believe it's the sword of truth. It's his word of truth. It's his voice of truth that cuts. Are we not supposed to be circumcised in heart? Does the word of God say that we do not have a natural circumcision, but a circumcision of heart? Should we be cut in our lives with the truth of God's word that would lead to what? What then shall we do? 
Peter said to them, repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Everybody say all who are far off. As many as the Lord, our God, will call to himself. The Holy Spirit's for who? And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. There was a conviction that Peter had that he preached and spoke with that caused people to be cut to their heart, wounded and conscious, pierced in their heart to a place where they felt conviction and godly sorrow unto repentance, unto salvation, unto the filling of the Holy Spirit. Come on, anybody. All right. What are we talking about? Crucifying, casual Christianity. They were, this is verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Does continual devotion sound casual? Let me just, can I read the definition of casual? This is just from the dictionary, so I'm not making anything up. Casual, happening by chance. We won't fulfill the will of God in our lives by chance. Casual, without definite or serious intention. Indifferent to what is happening. And this is my favorite. Without emotional intimacy or commitment. Casual Christianity. I'm afraid that we've been overtaken by a, a brand of Christianity, Christianity that's not gospel. Because when I read Acts 42, it doesn't say they casually devoted themselves to the word of God, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. It said that they were continually devoted. That means zealous or passionate in attachment. That means constantly diligent. It means to give constant attention to a thing. Are we obsessed with the word of God? Are we obsessed with fellowshipping and knitting our hearts together and our lives together as the body of Christ? Do we even know that we're a body, that every joint supplies, that the arm and the, the, the elbow is all connected, that the head is connected to the body? Maybe that's one of the reasons why we've become so out of joint is because we've disconnected ourselves with the head, Jesus Christ. And what we've created is headless bodies in the earth. So they were continually devoted. They were giving constant attention to these things. Is the word of God inspired or not? Is it infallible or not? Can I tell you the beginning of, uh, of deconstruction is a dismissal of the infallibility and the inspiration and the verbal plenary word of God. 
Don't let any scholar tell you that the, it's this portion is this. What it's, if, if you were to receive a, a testimony in court and one part of that testimony was false or wrong or found out to be, uh, uh, to, to be li- a lie, what do you do with the testimony in court? You throw it out. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Every word, all the words through man and by God. I love the word of God because it's just like Jesus. It's fully God and fully man. Written fully through men, but fully by God. Just like Jesus, fully man and fully God. They were constantly diligent and giving attention to the word of God, the apostles' teaching. Do we have a hunger for the word of God? Do we have a commitment to fellowship with one another? Can I tell you that the... One of the reasons we don't give commitment to the things of God is because we do not know Jesus as Lord as we ought to. So I don't want to just look at, hey, guys, this is what we need to do because we have our Acts 242 push here in the new year. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? On Wednesdays, what are we doing? We are committing our midweek meetings in the beginning of this year to fellowship. And then, and then we alternate from fellowshipping in our homes or at restaurants, wherever we want to go. And we're alternating from that to the temple, the house. And I know we're all the house of God, so please don't get religious on me. That Oh, we're the temple. Why do we got to call it the temple? You're just, come on. It's okay. It's, you're going to be okay. <laughs> we're alternating from house to temple. And when we come here, it will be for teaching and for prayer, one of the two. And so, and, and so that's what we're alternating to because, and the breaking of bread. We're, before you leave here, we're going to give you the prepackaged communion cups because we want you, as you are fellowshipping, as we are fellowshipping as a body, we want us to be taking communion together. Taking communion together. I don't think that we regard communion as we should. I'm speaking to myself. I feel convicted in my life like, God, would you move me with this? And so we want you to get that. But, but Acts 2.42, they were continually devoted. But, the, but I'm not saying just, hey, we all know that we need to read our Bibles and we all know that we need to, re- to, to, to pray. And we all know that we should be together as a body, right? Like, tell me something I don't know. But what I want to look at, and hopefully it won't take me long, because we want to get back into worship this morning. We want to get back into exalting Jesus and beholding Jesus. But why, 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 why were these people so constantly giving attention to these four things? What was it? What was it? It's one word. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The gospel was real to them. Jesus was real to them. They didn't just know him as Savior like a lukewarm church has, but they knew him as Lord. That's what casual Christianity is. It wants to know Jesus as Savior. It wants fire insurance without knowing Jesus as Lord, as a master. Lord means master. 
Lord means, Lord means master, master means tell me what to do, Jesus. The word in the New Testament for bondservant is, is, is actually should be slave. It's doulos. It's slave. And there's two words in the Greek for slave in the New Testament. One that is a slave by war and one that is a slave by birth. We were slaves to sin by birth in the natural. We were all born in sin. But by being born again, we have become slaves of righteousness. The Bible says slaves to Jesus. And we don't like the language of slave. And we don't like the language of master. Because we're all arrogant and proud. And we don't want to be told what to do. And also because the word slave has been robbed by the devil in mankind. Because slavery is horrible. But the condition of a slave is determined by the condition of its master. Is our master good? Is our master holy? Is our master faithful? The reason they were so diligently devoted is because they knew Jesus as Lord. They had a relationship with him. So when, they, when Jesus was crucified, it meant something to them. I believe that the disciples went from mourning to marveling to ministering to missional. Mourning, mourning what? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Let me read this from Isaiah 52. Mourning. They were found mourning when Mary, when all the Marys, came back to the disciples, and they were astonished at the empty tomb, and they found them weeping and mourning. I feel that we move too quickly from the cross. I feel that the cross has become a cliche we wear around our neck than something we bear on our backs that has marked our lives forever. Do we know Jesus? Does he mean something to us? Did these men and women see him and know him and talk to him and eat with him? How would you feel if your best friend was killed? How would you feel if someone you knew in the flesh for three years that you walked with, that you had given, that you left everything for, was killed? And not just killed. Listen to this verse from Isaiah 52. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. And his form did not resemble a human being. Does the cross move us? Have we ever wept over the crucifixion of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who took the penalty that was supposed to be on us, who took the wrath of God, who took the sins of all of the world on his shoulders? Does it move us or has the cross become cliche? Is it only something we think about around Easter time? Or is it something that has marked our lives like it did the disciples? They were found mourning because their Lord and Savior was gone. Their friend was gone. And then they went to marveling. When Jesus rose from the dead, they imagine getting your friend back. Imagine getting everything that you had given your life to back. Do we have a marveling in our hearts over the resurrection of Christ? 
It says in Acts chapter 1 that we're, we're supposed to be witnesses of the resurrection. Witnesses of the resurrection. I don't believe we can be witnesses of the resurrection if we haven't first mourned at the cross. And I believe that we're all probably, I think we would all like to say that we're like John. I think we would all probably like to say, like, I would have been there at the cross like John. But we know that all the other disciples scattered. They were all gone. I think that we do the same thing. I think that we avoid the cross. And because we don't have it in our hearts enough that when, when resurrection life comes, he even had to rebuke them for their unbelief over his resurrection. But we have to get to a marveling over the resurrection over the resurrection life that death could not hold him. Peter said it was impossible for the power of death to hold him in the grave. It was impossible. And then they went to ministering. They saw him ascend into heaven. And they were, it said that they went from there blessing God, praising God continually and daily in the temple. And then they went to mission. They were marked as a missional people for the glory of God. And I believe they gave themselves to these things continually at any and every cost. They, many of them lost their lives because they knew Jesus. Because they saw Jesus. Because they knew him as Lord. Because they trusted him. Because they believed in him. Will we submit to the Lordship? You guys go with me to Acts chapter 1. I'll just read some of this scripture to further portray the lordship of Jesus, Jesus Christ because I believe it is a key. Their lives revolved around Jesus. Casual Christianity, Jesus revolves around my life. Just like all the planets revolve around the sun, the S-U-N, so the body of Christ should revolve around the S-O-N. If we call ourselves Christians and we don't want to live casually for what many have been made casualties for, then we ought to start revolving around Jesus and obsessing around Jesus and ministering to him and worshiping him and beholding him and then getting busy doing what he tells us to do. The first account I compose, verse 1 Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After he had, listen to this, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, Jesus wants to tell us what to do as Lord. He wants to tell us what to do. He is our king. He is the kingdom. Everything in the kingdom revolves around the king. Everything. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convicting proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning entertainment, concerning things of the earth, concerning the natural government, concerning politics, concerning your nine to five job. There's a place for all of those things, but they have to first revolve around the king. They have to revolve around the kingdom. What was he speaking to them for 40 days? He's been with them for three years plus. He's been with them for three years. And then he gets raised from the dead. And for 40 days, 
What is he talking about? The things concerning the kingdom of God. We need an upgrade in our thinking. I don't even think that we understand what it means to live in king. I think we, I think we do, but we need more. It, it needs to mark us to a greater degree, I believe. I'm speaking for myself, I know. Gathering them together, he commanded them. There's Jesus, Lord, telling them what to do. Did he not? Commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Praise God. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? What does he say? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Our master's not going to tell us everything. It's not our job to know everything. It's our job to trust. It's our job to believe. It's our job to throw ourselves on the rock of ages and to build our foundation on the words of Jesus Christ. This is a reasonable question from the disciples because they've been waiting for this moment all of their lives. All of the Old Testament talked about coming Messiah, coming kingdom. So it's reasonable, but Jesus essentially tells them, it's none of your business. Obedience minds its own business. Obedience is focused on what God has told me to do, not what God has told you to do. I think so many in the body of Christ are confused and lost because we compare ourselves so much. And if you're doing something, I feel like I should be doing it. And if it's of the word of God, something simple like reading and praying, that's reasonable. But if it's a lifestyle, it's a whatever, we have to be faithful to what Jesus is telling us to do. Obedience minds its own business. But you will receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Casual Christianity is powerless because it only seeks to know Jesus as Savior and not as Lord. Will we do what he says? Will we receive the Holy Spirit? Will we give our lives to the Spirit to be baptized in the spirit. What does the word baptized mean? Anybody know? Submerged. Immersed. The, it does my life, am I immersed in the Holy Spirit? Am I submerged? We, we, we dunk people in the tanks up here for water baptism. The picture of, of laying people back in the water. What are they? Completely submerged. That's exactly what Jesus wants to do in our lives in the Holy Spirit. He wants to take us and completely immerse and submerge our entire lives in the Holy Spirit. Entire lives in the Holy Spirit. Be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. I think that I think that uh, we've created a brand of Christianity that instead of being a witness to the character of Jesus, we've profaned his name because we're called to be living epistles read by all men. But because we haven't been with him and because we don't look like him and because his heart and his nature and his character isn't in us, we're actually preaching another Jesus to people through our lives as living epistles. 
and instead of being a witness of him and his resurrection power, we profane his name. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The New Testament church was marked by both the ascension and the return of Jesus Christ. And this angel said they were gazing into heaven. And what does he say to them essentially? Get busy. You're beholding, but let's go. Listen, I'm all for gazing. I'm all for sitting. I'm all for resting and soaking in the glory, in the presence of God, in the secret place. And I have to have it. Actually, if I don't have it, I'm, I'm completely lost. I have nothing. I have no power. I have no life. I'm depressed. I'm a wreck. I have no vision. I have no clarity. I have no peace. I'm full of fear and anxiety and shame and guilt and condemnation. If I don't have the secret place of God in my life. So, so I'm not saying that we shouldn't gaze. We should be gazing. We should be holding. But he says, why are you looking into the sky? Don't you know he's coming back? Are we marked for the return of Jesus? Do we know that our master is coming back for his people? That our bridegroom is coming back for our, his bride? Do we care? There's a point where we have to get missional. Where gazing is good, but we have to move past it and we have to go and spread the gospel. We have to go at the end of Mark and these signs will follow. Go and preach. The lordship of Jesus Christ and their encounter with him caused them to mourn at the cross and it caused them to marvel at his resurrection and it caused them after his resurrection to minister to him because he was alive again and they were blessing him and praising him but then it made them missional because they were obedient to what he said to do he said go so will we in this body crucify casual christianity Will we crucify a brand of Christianity that leaves up the kingdom of God by chance without definite attention, without emotional intimacy or connection? And will we be continually devoted because we're marked by Jesus Christ himself because he's our king? And I just want to encourage this body. Hopefully the message was somewhat encouraging. I know I'm intense, so take it up with God. It's the way he made me. I've tried to apologize, and I've tried to deny the call of God on my life, and I just am, I'm done doing it because it's not, it's, not, it's not fun. Very briefly, go to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. So all these prophecies over this house in 2023, what God wants to do through this body. Man, if a people would just believe the word of God and act and be devoted. 
for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I want to encourage you. If you feel like you have nothing to offer God, you're exactly where you should be. If you feel empty and broken and depressed, I'm telling you, you're on the brink of breakthrough. It says in the word of God that his grace is sufficient and his power is perfected through weakness. I already referenced the widow's might. She gave all she had. And Jesus loved it. I already referenced Israel, that that God chose them, not because they were the greatest nation, but because they were the smallest. God loves to take small, desperate people and make them great for his glory. And I want to encourage you that you, if you know Jesus, you are qualified. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom. There is no separation in the kingdom. You are qualified. I want to look at this verse very quickly because it's marked me and encouraged me immensely. Because if I'm telling you the truth, I have felt immensely unqualified. I have felt immensely inadequate in my life. And I've argued with God over it. Don't you know? Haven't you seen? And he's like... Tell me something I don't know. Don't you know I'm omniscient? (laughs) Okay, so Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Peter heals a lame beggar. Peter gives a second sermon. The religious spirit is stirred up again, and they're angry, and they're about to put him on trial. And this is their response and observation of Peter and John in verse 13. Now, as they observed... The confidence. Everybody say confidence. 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 God wants his people to be a people of confidence. God wants his people to be a people of confidence. I didn't say arrogance. Arrogance is born from self. True confidence is born from God and humility. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, they understood that they were Bible scholars. And they took a, they have a doctorate, master's degree in eschatology, in bibliology, in Christology, in homartology, in soteriology. Those are all words. I didn't make those up. Confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were what? uneducated and what untrained men they were amazed they were amazed and people began to recognize them as what having been with Jesus would you guys stand up they recognized them as having been with Jesus would it be said of this church our father's house that they have been with Jesus That they see him. That they know him. They've encountered him. We don't need more Bible degrees. We need more bended knees. We need more Jesus. So I want to encourage you. If you want to crucify casual Christianity. If you feel convicted. If you feel stirred in any way. 
I want to invite you up to these altars to worship. If you need to repent, repent. But we're pressing into God. I don't know what time it is, and I don't care. If you need to go, bless you, and I mean that sincerely, sincerely. But I want to invite you up to these altars right now. Will we marvel at Jesus right now? Will we minister to his heart? Will we be fully devoted? Will there be a people in Avon, Indiana, at our Father's house, where the city said, they've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus.